Welcome to the NLCC Lancaster Podcast. The following message is titled, The Destiny of the Second Identity, and was spoken by Danny Hood. We hope and pray this message blesses your life. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit us at nlcclancaster.com. Genesis chapter number 32, and about verse number 24. The Bible said, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. Anybody ever had that kind of desperate, clinging, can't let go of it until I'm changed kind of prayer? Maybe you've had it in the last few days. Maybe you've had it in the last few hours. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. Everybody shout with me, Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. How many knows that God can do more in a moment than you can do in months? God can do more in five seconds than man could get accomplished in five centuries because he's supernatural. When God walks into a room, he's supernatural. There's nothing ordinary about God. And when he puts a touch on you, there's nothing ordinary about you. But I feel in the spirit today that there are people in this room that the enemy has caused you to tag yourself with former things things of the past, things that identify failure or might have just come short of or something that's been watered down, diluted, lost its concentration. Maybe it's not quite the conviction it used to be. And when God's whisper once got your attention, the thunder barely can be heard now. But I want to encourage you in the Holy Ghost and talk to you a little while today about the destiny of your second identity the destiny of the second identity. Would you just lift your hands across this place? Ask the Lord to help us all be receptive to his word this morning. Whatever you have, God, that's timely for this moment, whatever door you want to open, whatever stronghold you want to crumble, whatever wall and interference of our faith, God, that you want to remove, we're believing in that anointing today, Jesus, that breaks the yoke, the blood of the lamb that cleanses, and the counsel of God that's going to put us on the right course. I pray for somebody in this room, whether they're a first-time guest or somebody that's a veteran of faith in this room. I pray, God, for a healing in their mind. I pray, God, for an inspiration in the soul. I pray that the well of the Spirit would spring up in the name of Jesus. We magnify you right now, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, would you just praise him for a moment with me? Would you just lift him up? Tell him how good he is. 
Tell him how wonderful he is. There's nobody like you, Jesus. Nobody could have done for me what you've done for me. Nobody could have brought me out of darkness into marvelous light like you've done for me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Clap your hands to the Lord one more time. You may be seated. I wasn't raised in a Pentecostal church. I was the first one in my immediate family to get the Holy Ghost. I got the Holy Ghost when I was 12, and I'll never forget being on the second to the back row and the Spirit of God beginning to move and the wind of the Spirit. I don't even remember what was preached. That's not an insult to my spiritual father in the gospel, but the memory of what I felt was, was even more emphatic than what I heard, even though you can't get to where you're going to get to if you don't hear it. And I'll never forget coming down, standing between the first two pews, and uh, I, I had the typical one-on-one -on -one side going, hold on, hold on, and on, on the other side, let go, let go. I didn't know whether to hold on or let go. But I'll never forget that flood of the Spirit when it came in. How come you... Can, how many of you can remember that? And begin to speak with tongues and the, the Spirit of God that began to spring up. And, and uh, it didn't take long for me in the, in the church. I got baptized, and within three months, I was preaching my first sermon. I was 13 years old. My voice was a lot higher, and I hadn't changed yet. And I decided... What are we going to preach the first sermon? Well, let's, let's don't beat around the bush. Let's, let's preach out of the book of Revelation. I preached on prophecy my first sermon. And I didn't have everything quite figured out. In fact, I was, I was uh, needing some work on some enunciations. And to think now that I pastor a place called Landmark Tabernacle, my mother actually recorded the first sermon I ever preached and had it on a little cassette. They played it for my 40th birthday celebration a few years ago, which is none of your business how many, but. Um, and on there you could hear me say, the tabernacle of the Lord is with men. Tabernacle. Some of you are going, okay, I don't know what that is either. <laughs> Tabernacle. And then, I, and then I was reading Revelation 21, and all idolaters shall have their part. You know what an idolater is? It's kind of like an idolater. <laughs> I remember preaching, this is, this is what really tickled my mother. You know, I was 13, and I was preaching. It was on me, and I was like, way back when I was in the world. Mama wanted to know just how much world I had been in at 13. I said, well, Mama, you know, I dipped snuff one time. I carried around that little can, you know, because I thought it was cool. You could pull it, pull it out of your pocket and go. <laughs> Until I put some right here in my lip and played football across the street. And I got blindsided. And I swallowed it. <laughs> I didn't need the Holy Ghost to break that habit. <laughs> So my mom thought, well, my goodness, son, you really were messed up. But I'll tell you what I found out at a young age, because there was alcoholism in the home. I found out on many occasions, it didn't matter what my background was, didn't matter what my last name was. I mean, I was a hood born in Chicago. What can you do with that? It didn't matter what economic status I was in. 
If, if, if you hunger for God, that's what I learned. If you hunger for God, he shows up. And I remember on many occasions, the old enemy, see, he had destined for me. Sociologically, they say, you become seven times the habitual substance abuser as the generation before you. So I had a secular or demonically designed path to take me to be an alcoholic. And we had two drunks in the house. But I learned to get down in the den of that little 900 square foot house and I'd put on a preaching tape of a camp meeting evangelist and just me and Jesus and the angels. I'd start dancing and I'd feel kind of weird and awkward at first. But after about 10 minutes, you know, you keep sipping on the spirit. You're going to get somewhere. Some of you folks that used to do that in the world, you didn't just belly up to the bar and say, you know, just give me a little bit. Some of you grabbed that guy by the collar and said, you better put that whole bottle down. All of a sudden, we get in the church and we think, well, one little sip's going to do me. No, no, no. I want to get back to where I draw from the wells of salvation. I want to get back to where it's a flood of his grace. I'm not satisfied with a little trickle. I want a baptism of the Holy Ghost. I want it to descend and come down like a mighty fire. Don't give me something that just sends the hem or the britches or just a little bit on the edge. Give me something that consumes me from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. And that's the way I felt. I got down there and I started dancing. And then, I mean, and then I got a little more light-footed. And then I started getting light-headed. And then I'm telling you, I'd get so drunk in the Holy Ghost. You got one in the house drunk on peach brandy and another one drunk on Jesus. But I established early in my teens, I'm not going the route of the rebellious. I'm not going the path of the crooked of the world. I have made up my mind that God is going to be the center of my attention and I'm going to drink from his well. I don't care what the world is marked for me. God's got an identity that goes beyond the expectations of the society around you. <laughs> praise God, praise God. The name of Jesus in the name of Jesus. This is why Jacob, when he gets out there, he's, he's scared to death of his brother. Esau's already come face to face with that which has been the terror of the last few years of his life. This is a young man that has been a deceiver but has also been deceived. And while the stars hung, they looked like celestial lamps just dangling from the night sky. Jacob takes a deep breath as he puts his foot in the water of Jabbok. This one didn't part. There was no dividing here of a sea. He's got to cross over the river Jabbok. And when he gets over the river and his feet are a little cold and he's, he's rolled up his garments, oh, they almost look like jams. You remember the jams of the 80s and 90s? And then when he, he girded up his loins, that's what it was. They created jams. They'd stuff, their, they'd stuff those robes down into the little rope coming around there, their belt, and they'd, they'd tiptoe wherever they was going to get through. He got through on the other side, and it's, it's pitch dark. There's nobody around. He can hear his heart beating. It sounds like a little drum. 
he's walking along and all of a sudden he sees the silhouette of something. It's a figure in the distance. And before he can even raise his hand, that thing has got a hold of him. He doesn't know at first, is this a creature? Is this a man? Is this a beast? What is this? And then he thinks, well, I'm wrestling with a man. And now they're rolling around in the grit and the dirt and the sand and he's getting scraped up and, and Jacob is breathing heavy because he's not used to fighting like this. I mean, Esau, his brother, would have been the fighter. He was the one that was always in the camp stirring up the stew, cooking up the groceries with Mama. His brother was the mighty hunter. He was the one always out in the hills with the bow and arrow. He was the one putting the hunter's harvest together, not Jacob. Now he's wrestling with a man. He doesn't know this is an angel. And I mean, he's got him in a headlock, and then, you know, this is like Brazilian jiu-jitsu of the Old Testament. He's got him in submission, and then he can't let him go, and he's got his leg wrapped around him, the angel's trying to get away from him, and he's saying, let me go. I won't let you go. Oh, for that Pentecostal hunger like we got when we first got in the church. When I get a hold of this, I will never let it go. Finances can't run me out of the church. Fear can't run me out of the church. Despair can't run me out of the church. Mistakes won't run me out of the church. And if you offend me every day for the next 30 days, it won't run me out of the church. I got a hold of it, and I won't let it go. Praise God, praise God. That's, that was Jacob's spirit. And we live in a generation that wants a ticker tape parade before they've even been in the battle. They want the silver without the suffering. They want the fruit and don't want to fight. But if you're going to get something from God, every now and then you're going to have to face the giants. You're going to have to go through the struggle. You're going to have to get in an altar and get a hold of the horns of that altar and say, I won't let it go. I'm not getting out of this prayer room until I get a vision of my family being saved. I'm not walking out of this church until there is a transformation and something supernatural that takes over the circumstances of my life. Praise God. Let me go. Oh my goodness, in this passive generation, we got too many that just let go real easy. No, 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 not that Jacob spirit, not now. He's in desperation mode. He's clinging to hope and the possibility of a miracle, even though he can feel a burning in his hip and the sinews being torn. He can feel the flame of the pain rushing through every fiber in his being, but he won't let him go until finally that flaming-eyed angel looked around at him and he said, what's your name? Tell the truth now. Don't come up with a nickname. Don't come up with some other identity. Tell the truth. Tell them you're a supplanter. Tell them you're a deceiver. Tell them you're a hill catcher. Tell them your name is Jacob. Jacob! Oh, that's your first identity. But I want to tell you something. Your name's not Jacob anymore. You've gotten a hold of something here today in the supernatural. Your name will no longer be called Jacob, but it's going to be Israel. Because as a prince, you've got power with God and with men. Do you know what it really means? It means now he's going to be governed by God. I wish somebody would walk out of here today and say, you know what? I'm not in the dominion of the devil anymore. 
I'm not in the household of the heathen anymore. I'm not in the prison of the past anymore. I don't exist in the kingdom of those that have lost their minds. Let me tell you, I'm in the government of God. If you think that I'm going to give in to the adversary today, understand that my God is in control. He's in charge. He's the king. He's the deliverer. He's the hope giver. You're not Jacob, you're Israel, governed by God. He's going to get up out of that dirt. He's going to walk with a limp for the rest of his life because we all know when you're touched by God, it changes the way you walk, changes the way you live. It changes your identity. I hope that somebody, when you walk out of here today, you'll stop calling yourself Jacob. You'll stop looking in the mirrors of the past and stop seeing the reflection of yesterday's mistakes. But when you walk out of here, you've got a fresh word. You've got some manna that came down from heaven. You've put it in your spirit. You walk out with a deposit of a new revelation. I'm not what I used to be. I've got a new identity. And because of my new identity, I've got new expectations. I've got something different that's going to happen in the coming weeks. That's why when Jesus comes, when he scrolls back that sky, when he comes riding on the back of that white steed, when his face lights up the heavens, when he comes down descending to this earth, when he's destroyed the Antichrist, the false prophet, when he's taken care of the kingdoms of rebellion, when he puts his foot on earth, it's not going to be in Mecca or Medina. It's not going to be in D.C. or London or Baghdad. He's not going to some Babylonian destination. It won't be in Moscow when he comes again. He's going to a place called Israel. He's going to put his foot on the Mount of Olives in the Jerusalem, and an earthquake's going to take. When he comes again, he is going to the destination of a place that was determined on the banks of Jabbok thousands of years ago. Israel. Praise. That is your destiny. Somebody here today that the devil's trying to tell you, I'm going to take everything away from you. Or maybe some of you looked at things that have already been taken away. But I come to tell you in the Holy Ghost that God's going to restore what the canker worm and the caterpillar and the locust and the palmer worm have chewed up and consumed. And if you feel that in your spirit today and you're ready to shed the Jacob's skin and rise up in the spirit and say, I feel in Israel destiny. I'm fixing a walk in the boundary of a new promise. I'm fixing to come back to the borders of the supernatural. I do not live in the land of the rejected. I'm not a wanderer in the wilderness anymore. I'm in the presence of a promise-keeping God, and I'm going to live according to that second identity. Lift your hands to the Lord for a moment. Before I get to the next part, I feel in the Holy Ghost to talk to somebody that's going through financial difficulties. I want you to stand on your feet for a moment. If you're in that category, you need a better job, you need a promotion, you need a financial breakthrough, I want you to lift your hands, stand on your feet, and lift your hands to the Lord and say, I refuse to live according to past failures and expectations. This year is going to be different. I'm going to a new peak. I'm going to live on the summit of of excellence. I'm going to break through to a new dimension 
generation. It's not going to be like it always was. I'm going to be a better giver than I've ever been. And I'm going to receive the blessings of God. Come on, I feel it in the Holy Ghost for a moment. Lift your hands across this congregation. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I submit. I submit it to God right now. Not that money is everything, but there are people here that have been shouldering things, the balance of things, the debt of things, and maybe it's some things that we've put on ourselves, but you're going to help us to cast aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Somebody in the next few weeks is going to walk in and go, Pastor, Pastor, can I tell you what God has done for me? I'm telling you, in the Holy Ghost, some of you, you're going to take on a new identity in 2020. It, it's not going to be, well, that's somebody else that gives like that. No, no, no. You're going to walk through the doors of impossibility, and you're going to give, and you're going to do things for the kingdom of God that have heretofore been nothing but some kind of big fantasy or a distant dream or something that were for somebody else. I'm telling you in the Spirit, if you rise up in the Holy Ghost and throw up your hands toward heaven and say, I receive that word of faith, and I believe that the fruitfulness is going to come. Praise God. Praise God. We get to the book of Judges. There's a pretty strong young man. His name is Samson. He's like a long-haired knight. He's got a Nazarite vow. He just kind of bends his muscles a little bit, and he's already gone through four or five tunics in the last week, just ripping right through them because he's the big old muscular, strong man. He's got the supernatural strength. This is a guy that carried away the gates of Gaza and walked with them up a mountainside and disposed of them in some trash heap like it was nothing. This is a man who found him a... He found him a good-looking wife, and he got, got married, and, and then all of a sudden he puts out a riddle to these Philistines after he's been on a journey, and he's ripped open the jaws of a lion. He's just, just, just kind of ripped it like it wasn't nothing, like it was made out of paper mache and threw it to the side. And then when we come back a week later, there was a honeycomb in it, and bees were buzzing around. He found honey, and he dipped his finger in there and took a little taste of that honey, and he got strength in his body. And so... He did this. He put this riddle out there. Long story short, in this part of the story, the Philistines cheated. They went to his wife. They threatened his wife and father-in-law and said, if you don't tell us what it is, and of course they told him what it was, and they come back and acted all arrogant and pompous, and yeah, we know what it was. It's, you know, it's a lion, and it's a honeycomb, and it's honey out of the lion. And Samson got so mad, he whipped him right there. He whipped up on him. He rolled up his sleeves. They got into a big fight. He was so mad. And then to get him back, these Philistines went out and burned down the father-in-law's house with the father-in-law and the wife in it and killed him. 
Samson then goes into a rage. He tracks down what the Bible calls in Judges 15, he tracks down what is known as hip and thigh. That would be like the special forces of the Philistines. These were tough men. He tracked every one of them down. It didn't give a specified number, but if it was 10, these were like Navy SEALs. These were special forces. He took them all out, killed every one of them. And then he goes on the run, and you can see him going up this narrow, twisting path, and he heads toward the limestone rock of a cave not far from Lehi, and he's going to live in that cave. He gets in that cave, and he's by himself, leans his back against the, the cold, craggy wall of that cave, and he can hear the bats squeaking in the distance. He can look up over here, and he can see a... He can see lit up a, a spider web, and he starts having a conversation with Charlotte's web. I mean, it's just him and the spider and some bats in the distant parts of the caverns, and it's there. He can hear the slow drip of water somewhere way back there in the distance. Every now and then, he'd hear the snap of a twig, and he'd look at that yawning mouth of the cave, and he'd, is there somebody coming? Until finally, the Bible said 3,000. Look at your neighbor and say, that's a lot of people. 3,000 men of Judah come up that twisting trail to the chalky surface of that mountainside looking for Samson. When Samson, he could hear the crunch of their steps in the distance, he stepped out of the mouth of that cave. He was ready to fight, and then he recognized it was his own brothers. These were men of Judah, but did you have to bring 3,000? 3,000 men, and they hug each other. How's it going? Man, everything's good. Well, no, it's not good. The Philistines have invaded our land. They've threatened to take our kids and put them into slavery and make soldiers out of them. They've threatened to kill all of our men and take our wives, and they've threatened to destroy our crops if we don't bring you in. we got to bring you in, Samson. Samson kind of just dropped his head a minute. He looked back at him. He said, okay, I'll go with you. But you got to promise me one thing. You don't kill me. Oh, no, 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 Samson. We wouldn't do that. So they put some ropes around his wrist, and they tie him up real good. And they go down that descent, and they start walking into Lehi. And here's all the Philistine soldiers. They're, they're set up in two columns. And, I mean, they're pulling Samson through there, and they're jeering at him and poking at him and shoving him. And, hi, we got you now. And every step that he took, Samson got a little angrier at what he was hearing because they were making fun of him. And then the Bible said he got so upset that, that those ropes on his wrist, they started to feel like it was melted wax. He just broke those ropes off of his wrist, and he turned around, and he was looking for anything that he could use as a weapon. And so he looks over there, and he sees some flies buzzing around a dead carcass of a donkey. Then he goes over there, and he's, got a, he's looking like this. He's watching. The Philistines are like, they're all stunned. They're like, what is this guy doing? Does he not understand he's outnumbered a 1,000 to 1? <laughs> well, let him go ahead. So he walks over there, and he pulls from the integuments of that putrefying beast. He pulls that jawbone out, and with the smell of death redolent in his hand, he steps right into the middle of one thousand. Turn to somebody and tell them, this ain't fiction. Hallelujah. Tell them, Samson was the original Avenger. That's right. That's right. 
He stepped into the middle of a thousand of them and like a revolving beast in mayhem, he just starts going wild. You can hear skulls cracking and arms are breaking and legs are snapping and some of them tried to run off. He'd take that jawbone, he'd throw it at them like it was a javelin and it'd knock them down. He'd run over and take that jawbone and beat them. Am I getting a little too graphic? So these little crimson specks started just rising up his arm. It was a bloody thing. Praise God. The devil ain't got anything on you. You got more power in your spiritual fist than a legion of devils if you learn how to use it because there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Somebody can stare at a thousand enemies today and say in the name of Jesus. This, this thing was wild. This was crazy. There are vultures that are winging their way in. They're perched up on the rocks. They're getting ready to have a feast. Talk about a hunter's harvest. They're looking down all that dead flesh, and they can't wait to get to eating. You know, they got to get down there and pluck that. Oh, okay, we won't get to that graphic. One by one, he built a mountain of death out of a thousand Philistines. Bodies are just piling up. And when he's done, now you got to imagine, you know, it, it takes a little bit out of you to kill a thousand soldiers. And he's standing, he's all by himself, all by himself. If you read that in the text, it'll stir you up. Because I want to know where the 3,000 men of Judah were. Where did the praisers go? Where was the choir? Where did the worshipers go? Sometimes you're going to stand there in the valley and face those adversities and adversaries and feel like nobody's around. But it's okay. God will put a jawbone in your hand. God doesn't need a sword of the world. God doesn't need the weaponry of the evil. When he puts something in your hand, it can be a stick, a stone. It can be a jawbone. But he'll bring the devil down. He'll bring the kingdom of darkness to its knees. I wish somebody would rise up in the Holy Ghost today and say, I'm going to be victorious. Samson's standing there now. The sun, the clouds have cleared. The sun's staring on him. It's like a spotlight. It's, it's hot. It's desert conditions. He can't even hardly sweat. He's so dehydrated. His face is burnt. His mouth is parched. Can barely even breathe. And he looks around. There's nobody. Hey, I should be getting a Gatorade bath about now. We just won the Super Bowl of Philistine battle. Took down the Giants. Giants aren't in the Super Bowl, I know. <laughs> These are not the 49ers, they're the thousanders. We've taken them out. Where's the celebration? Where's the ticket parade? Where are the other festivities? Where'd they go? Ain't nowhere to be found. He's standing there by himself. Oh God, I'm still gonna die. I'm still gonna fall into the hands of the wicked. The uncircumcised, they're gonna get me. They're gonna chew me up. And he's just about ready. He, he looks at that jawbone, it's got blood all over. He just throws it, and you can hear it skitter across the ground, bumps up against something, and he's ready. This is it. What is that? Y'all see that? I guess I'm the only one that sees that. What is that? 
was making kind of a gurgling sound. What in the world? He looked back over at the mountain of the dead people. Maybe one of them was still choking on his blood. I'm sorry, it was too graphic. I didn't mean to mess up your roasting potatoes, your wild game. I had moose and potatoes yesterday, so I'm in the moose club now. He gets down on his knees. He can barely breathe. That can't be. That's impossible. I didn't know they had Fiji water over here. He cups his hands together. That's, that's water. There's no well here. No, 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 no. This thing, don't try to scientifically prove what has supernaturally been given. Don't try to humanistically explain away what will never make logic. Some things God wants to do for some of you in this room today will never make sense. But if you'll be sensitive to God, let he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I'm getting ready to show you wells that you've never drunk from. I'm getting ready to give you fountains of grace that you've never taken a drink from. If you believe Leave the word of God today. He will give you a supernatural source right in the middle of your impossible circumstance. <laughs> praise God. Praise God. I'm telling you, God will do it. I got in the church. Got the Holy Ghost and was preaching, and the devil would tell me when I'd be out in meetings, I'm going to kill you, Dad. I'm going I'm to take your parents. You go out there and pray all them hundreds of people through, but I'm gonna, you ain't going to get your mom and dad. And I'd say, devil, you're a liar. Devil, you're a liar. For years I prayed it. It wasn't just something 15 minutes. It wasn't something that went by a few months. It was years and years. Five days after my beautiful wife and I got married, my mother left my dad. It was over. Things had killed the marriage. We tried our best to help them reconcile it. Couldn't get them reconciled. Got a divorce about a year later. My mother got remarried, didn't know it. She called me up, said, I met this man. We've gotten married. Man, I didn't get a wedding invitation. I was so upset. It took me months to kind of get over that. My dad was lonely. He was living in a trailer. He was playing music with his cousins, and they had these gigs going, and, but he wasn't happy. And, and I could just, and I'd go out and have revival, and, and the power of God would move, and people would get the Holy Ghost, and you'd see God reconciling this and fitting these broken pieces together, and mending that broken heart, and doing a miracle for this. And I'd go back to my hotel room, and the enemy would whisper to me, yeah, 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 but what you doing for your family? I'm telling you, I'm standing on a promise of what I saw when I was a teenager. I'll see revival come, and I'll see God do the impossible. But I can't tell you there weren't moments of clouds didn't come in and discouragement didn't set in. I'd feel like, man, what's the use out here preaching revival? My stepfather was a good man. I was preaching a revival for Brother Kinsey in Pensacola, Florida. It was going two weeks. And in between the two weekends, in 2000, I drove up from Pensacola, Florida to Memphis, Tennessee, and I baptized my stepdad, Bob. Johnson in the name of Jesus. And when he come out of that water, he was talking in tongues and he'd stop every now and then. He'd go, woo, I've been looking for this my whole life. And then he'd talk in tongues some more and he'd stop and say, woo, 
I've been looking for this my whole life. I knew the condemnation that my mother had gone through. I know the battles of conscience that she dealt with, but I also know that what God puts a jawbone in your hand, it doesn't matter how many failures, adversaries, Philistines of darkness there are, he will bring them down. baptize him in Jesus name man I'm telling you they got in the church they were doing awesome my mother prayed back through she was a tongue talker she's a tongue talking machine now and if you ever got a situation where you're going to be driving into bad weather my mama is the one you want praying for you because she'd be like yeah there's going to be storms to the north and storms to the south and then she gets somebody and say mom how was the travel well there were storms about 30 miles to the north and storms about 30 miles to the south but we had clear weather the whole way my dad years of depression thought we was going to lose him got a call when I was preaching a youth camp in Alaska I mean I was a long way from home like why couldn't I have been preaching in Mississippi that particular week he was in the hospital thought he was going to die I get on a plane get get to Minneapolis and I'm sitting there for hours and I'm on the phone and is he going to be okay? Well, we don't know. And then get, get down there. By the time I got to the hospital, he was up, had his oxygen mask on. Everything was okay. Three years later, my dad gets remarried. Now this is going to sound like a soap opera. He remarries his first wife. My mother was his second wife. He remarries his first wife from the 50s and 60s. Sweet lady. Her third husband, told you, <laughs> dropped dead of a heart attack breakfast one morning. So a couple years, the, the kids, my dad had uh, three boys and one girl in that marriage. So I got three half brothers and one half sister. And... Uh, and they got back, got remarried in 2002. I go down and preach a revival in Potts Camp, Mississippi. You don't even know where that's at. It's next to Bethlehem. And you don't even know where that's at. It's not far from Memphis. <laughs> and they all come. Sarah gets the Holy Ghost. Some of my family gets the Holy Ghost. She gets baptized in Jesus' name. This is how the Lord writes a story. You can get stuck in a certain identity and say, I'm always a failure and it's always going to be bad. And it's like, I don't know if you grew up on it, but I grew up on hee-haw. My dad, it was morning, Sunday, uh, Saturday morning wrestling at 11, football games from 12 to about 6, Central Standard Time, and then hee-haw come on about 6. And they would sing that song, bloom, despair, agony on me. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Bloom, despair. Thank you. <laughs> Some of y'all need to get off a hee-haw. <laughs> Throw your straw hat to the side, trade your overalls for a robe of righteousness, and come back to an altar that says, I'm not living according to that identity. I don't care how many failures, setbacks, breakdowns, sicknesses, failures, broken relationships. My God is able this morning.
In the name of Jesus. My stepmother, this, this, this one's going to blow your mind now. My stepmother died in 2016 living for God. My stepdad died just a couple of years ago this month living for God. After 25 or 7, however many years or so, my mom, real mom and real dad have become the best of friends. I'm telling you, you, you don't try to finish the book that the devil's trying to write in your life. I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost wants to revise the script. Some of you are living in chapters of conflict right now, and it looks like the antagonist is going to win, but your God is getting ready to step in and say, I'm the author and the finisher. I don't care what the penman of hell has written. I don't care what he scribbled on the journal of your soul. I don't care what you've got in the diaries of your past. I'm telling you, a new chapter is coming, and you're going to live in the destiny of a second or a third or a different or a miracle. I there is name changing power in this room. There is anointing to break the yoke in this room. Just a few more moments. Here's Samson. He's over here. He's cupping that, he's cupping that water up. He sips it. He can feel it running down, trickling down his throat. It's getting into his spirit. With every sip, there's revitalization. It's a renovation project in his spirit. Something is being constructed in his soul. Now, if we back up just for a moment, everybody say, push the pause button right there. Okay, so we're going to rewind. Back here, when he first threw the jawbone, he names it Ramoth Lehi. He names it according to the battle, the fight. It's simply the place of the jawbone. That's all it is. It'll be a landmark for the rest of, of his life, which is just going to be, he thinks, a few minutes. They'll come and set up an epitaph here. There'll be a memorial someday that says Samson fought valiantly here, and here are his bones lying among the dead heathen. But he starts sipping from the fountain. Woo! Can you feel that? How many, when you first came into a Pentecostal church, you thought this was the wildest bunch of people I've ever seen in my life? Seriously. We had one of those helicopter people in our church. I walked in there. First time I saw that lady spin, she didn't take off. She never got off the helipad. <laughs> Well, she spun around. I was like, what in the world have I walked into? And then I became one of you. <laughs> because when you start sipping of what we got, what I, here's something I don't understand. I, you gotta, I, I, you'll never be able to explain it to me. If you've ever been drunk on the Holy Ghost, why would you ever want to go back to a liquor store? If you've ever had a spiritual high in the spirit, why would you ever? And you know we are the mile high city in Denver. We've legalized marijuana. Seriously, you used to go out and, and ride the train out to the terminals at the airport, and the mayor would come on and say, welcome to the Mile High City. They had to change that after they legalized marijuana. It was too funny. Everybody's walking around high. <laughs> but you don't need marijuana dispensaries. 
You don't need what they call healing houses and cannabis shops. Not when you've had the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, there's never been a greater high in all of heaven and the earth than when you get filled up with the Spirit, refreshed by the touch of God. Samson. He's, he's drinking it in. He's, he's feeling strength. And you know what he does? He renames it. He's like, man, I got that wrong. I got that so wrong. This is not the place of the jawbone. He renames the place in Hakori, which means the spring where a man prayed. And, and then the word said, it's there unto this day. Not Ramoth Lehi. Wait, no, no, no. Scratch that out. Like, like the old, what was that white stuff you used to put in when you, you had to, thank you, white out. Y'all still use that? I mean, you had somebody in, what grade are you in? What grade are you in? 12th? And you know about white out? I'm impressed. I thought somebody out here about my age, somewhere above 40, would have gotten that. Whatever you have to do, it's in Hakori. It's the place where a man. But you know what it is, friend? You can't get there as long as you hold on to the fight. As long as it's your bitter battle. As long as all you see are Philistines. When did Samson get his miracle? When he let it go. I can't fight it that way anymore. I refuse to do it the way the world wants me to do it. I've got to let it go. I can't have revival in my spirit if I'm holding on to this resentment. When he let it go is when God turned his fight into a fountain. When God took his battle and brought him a blessing. When God showed him a miracle well from a jawbone. What does God want to do? And I knew I was in the spirit today when I walked in here and they were singing that song, turning good for, or evil for good or bad into a blessing or whatever it was because that's the Holy Ghost telling people in this room right now, I don't care where you've been, I don't care where you're at right now, I don't care what the circumstances, I don't care how outnumbered you may feel, you've got another identity coming. 2020 is a new label, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to live according to a new idea. Don't you look over your shoulder. You put your hand to that plow. God's going to bring things up. He's going to bring things up out of the soil of your life. You're going to see fruitfulness like you've never seen it before, but you've got to keep your vision ahead. Don't you look back over your shoulder. I don't care how many shouts of the enemy. I don't care how intimidating the devils may seem to be in your life. Let's lift our hands to the Lord across this congregation in the name of Jesus right now. Who would lift their voice with me from the youngest to the oldest and begin to pray in the Holy Ghost with me? Who would begin to get a hold of it like Jacob did? Who would begin to let go of some things like Samson did? Sometimes it's holding on to the Word of God and letting go of your words, your hatefulness, your resentment. What did they say to you? How did you get offended? How did they get that so deep in your spirit? But I'm telling you, there's a new identity, Jacob. Israel's rising up. There's a new identity, Samson. In Hakori, it's going to be the label. There's a new identity because you've got a destiny to get beyond this trap. You've got a destiny to get beyond this wilderness. You've got a destiny. Would you stand to your feet if you believe that? Would you lift your voice to the Lord with me right now? Come on, prayer warrior. Come on, intercessor. I hear the chains falling is what the song prophesied. 
They've been rattling around your world, but they're going to be left at your feet, and you're going to walk out of them because it's the opening of the prison to them that abound. Jesus walked into this room to set the captive free. If you're sick and tired of labels, if you're sick and tired of the devil putting an identity on you that you're going to refuse from this moment forward, step out of your pew. Get somebody by the hand and say, come on, we're going down to the well. We're going to take a drink of refreshment. We're going to have revival in our spirit. The anointing is going to break the chains. The name of Jesus is going to give you a better identity. You've got a different destiny, child of God. Sinner friend, you've got a different destiny waiting on you down here at this altar. Backslider, cold soul, fragile will, you've got a different kind of identity waiting for you down here where the angels of God are at work in this altar. Would you come? The musicians are gathering. The prayer warriors are on their way. The altar workers are ready. The ministers are ready. I'm telling you, leave that label at the pew. Walk out of that prison of circumstances. Step away from you. are not chained to that tree. The devil just wants you to think you are. You've got power in your faith today to break that chain and say, I will not be bound up, reserved. I will not be held hostage. I'm going to an altar, and I'm walking out with a different identity and that concludes this podcast if you enjoyed this podcast please like share and subscribe and for those of you on itunes leave us a good rating thank you for listening to the nlcc lancaster podcast